Somebody give him a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Do it in Jesus' name. Somebody just do it in Jesus' name. Somebody shout in Jesus' name. tonight are you glad to be here instead of a bar or a nightclub tonight are you glad to be here instead of the hospital are you glad to be here instead of six feet under tonight I just need a couple hundred people to clap your hands and shout unto God with a voice of triumph Woo! Anybody grateful for what the Lord's been doing around here this past week? Man, we start, you can be seated for just a moment. We started out the week on Sunday with God doing some amazing things in this house. Sunday morning when the Holy Ghost was finished around here, Carissa was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. Then Cassidy was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Then Lizette was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. We ought to give God some praise for that tonight. Amen. And if you were here, you know the power of what God did in this house on Sunday night. 
The Holy Ghost rested in this place in such a powerful way. And uh, there were miracles loosed in this house. I've already been getting reports of God doing some amazing things. One of the reports I got today was from Sister Stephanie Victorin, who was involved in a, a pretty bad car accident this summer in July. And she had a couple of herniated discs due to the accident. And she has been dealing with some pretty intense pain since July. And she said that on Sunday, she lifted her hands as we begin to pray for miraculous things. And she began to pray for her father and a few other people she knew that needed physical healings. And she said, it's like God whispered in her ear and said, I'm going to heal your body tonight. And from Sunday night until now, she's been pain free. Oh! She's over here jumping and shouting. See, you got to learn the key to your miracle uh, is to rejoice uh, with them that rejoice. Uh, because if God did it for her, uh, God wants to do it for you. Uh, and if I'm standing in the same line that she is uh, and she got her miracle, uh, baby, my miracle uh, is on the way. Clap your hands like it's your body that got healed tonight. Woo! Hallelujah. And I'm just telling you, God's doing some amazing things. Incredible reports from some of our guests that were here for the very first time on Sunday. And uh, the Holy Ghost is just doing what only he can do. Amen. I want to hasten to the word of the Lord. If you'll stand to your feet all across this house. Amen. We're going to be beginning tonight in the book of John chapter 16. And while you're doing that, while you're grabbing your Bibles, I want to again say what a privilege and honor it is to have all of our guests that are with us tonight in the house of the Lord. Would you help me one more time, church? Put your hands together. Come on, help me give a great big applause for our guests that are here with us on Tuesday night. What a privilege and an honor it is to have you in the house of the Lord with us. And uh, to all of those who took the time, wherever you're at, to jump online and you're streaming in with us tonight, we're glad to have you connected to what the Lord is doing here tonight. And uh, I want to say again what an honor it is to have some of my family here again with us tonight. All the way from Colorado, my, my sweet mother in love is here with us tonight, and uh, so glad she's in the house of the Lord. And then my brother-in-law and my sister outlaw, I mean in-law. <laughs> See, I got the microphone now. I was going to say something on Sunday, but the Holy Ghost took over. It was her birthday this weekend. <laughs> She, she, she finally joined. She's 39 years old, and she's, she's, she's doing good for 39. And, uh, but I love them very much, and I'm grateful they're here with us. And, of course, my beautiful niece, Sister Carly, is with us tonight. I should have her get up here and sing something tonight as well. Uh, 
she, she'll kill me in my sleep if I do that to her tonight. But I love them very much. She's anointed. She can do it, I promise you. And uh, so wonderful to have them with us tonight. How many of you have been enjoying our, our Bible studies uh, on Tuesday night, our series on enemies of the soul? If you've been here, you know we've been working our way through uh, the scriptures concerning the topic of enemies of the soul. And tonight I want to continue in that vein. Uh, we have been studying up to this point the first enemy of the soul, which is the flesh. Tell your neighbor the enemy in a me. Hey, if you don't know what that means, your greatest challenge and enemy in life will be the person that you look at in the mirror every morning. Amen. And the word of the Lord is replete with such powerful concepts and, and, and words to help us live an overcoming life concerning our flesh. But tonight we want to take a look at the second enemy of our soul, and that is the world. Somebody shout the world. John chapter 16, verse number 33, I want to read one verse of scripture as a contextual uh, verse for what we're going to teach tonight. It says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Anybody thankful for that promise tonight? One more time, put your Bibles down and clap your hands and give the Lord some praise for his word tonight. Amen. Amen. You may be seated if you're taking notes. Grab your pen, grab your notebook, grab your note app. Amen. If you ain't got one, just reach in your neighbor's purse. If they look at you funny, just say, the Lord says we're two or three touch and agree on any one thing. <laughs> Our focus tonight turns to another subtle enemy of the soul. Again, the purpose of these lessons is not to magnify the world or Satan, but to expose them for what they really are and to reveal their threat to us as Christians. The scripture uses three important terms to describe the world. The first term that you will find in the Greek that defines the term world for us in the Bible is the word cosmos, if you're taking notes, that's K-O-S-M-O-S, -O -S, cosmos. It's a Greek word that means the orderly arrangement of the world, including its inhabitants. It can refer to the sum total of what God has created and specifically to the world as the abode of humans. It is the order of things with which humanity moves and of which humanity is the center. In this sense, it can also refer to the customs and the values and the habits 
of sinful human society. In the New Testament, the term world is usually translated from this word cosmos. And the following are just a few examples of this word cosmos in the word of the Lord. Read for me John chapter 1, verse number 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He was in the cosmos, and the cosmos was made by him, and the cosmos knew him not. Read for me Acts chapter 17, verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. God that made the cosmos. Read for me John chapter 3, verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the cosmos that he gave his only son. First John chapter 2 and verse number 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Love not the cosmos. Tell your neighbor, love not the cosmos. Neither the things that are in the cosmos. If any man love the cosmos, uh, the love of the Father is not in him. The second term you'll find in the word of the Lord that, that is used to define the term the world in our English language is the Greek word eon, which is spelled A-I-O-N, but it is pronounced eon. And the word eon means a space or a period of time, especially a lifetime. It is used of one's time of life or age as in my sister-in-law who's been here a long time. <laughs> eons, been here for eons. <laughs> oh, I couldn't resist. If my niece don't kill me, she is. It also means a long space of time. Eternity or forever. It can mean an age or it can mean perpetuity or present or future course. And the term world is translated from the word eon in the following verses. Read for me 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians rather chapter 4 verse number 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. In whom the God of this eon hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica, Crescens to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Paul said that Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present eon. 
And then read for me Romans chapter 12, verse number 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And be not conformed to this eon. I, I love this verse right here because there are some powerful revelations in the English language that is used here. When you read the word conformed, it is a compound word. The prefix con, which means with or by. It's, it's the same way that the derivative from the Latin that we get the English or the Spanish word con, which means with. Chile con carne. Somebody got hungry right there. And to be conformed. The root word here is the word formed, to be shaped like, to take on the semblance or the image of. And to be conformed means that there is something that was used as a pattern to develop the formation. We use this word common in the English language and other, uh, in other flavors, uh, informed. Same root word to form, but the prefix in means that there is something that is influencing. There's another compound word we'll talk about that is affecting the form, information. That's where we get the word information from. Whatever information you are getting, it is forming your ideologies, your opinions. And the Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, heart, uh, so is he. Uh, the information, we, we use the word deform, deformation, to take something out of its form. But this scripture says to be not conformed to this world. In other words, uh, don't let the patterns uh, of this world uh, be the thing uh, that influences uh, who you become. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye, and here's another one, be ye transformed. That prefix trans uh, means to be one thing, uh, but then become uh, something else. Uh, and when you are born again, Second uh, Corinthians said uh, that when any man is in Christ Jesus, uh, he is a new uh, creation. Uh, all things are passed away, uh, and behold, all things uh, are become uh, new. Transformation. Y'all know what a transformer is? A Harley Davidson becomes a robot. I am Davidson Prime. To be one thing and become something else. And one of the most miraculous transformations that you will ever see is when somebody repents of their sins and they are baptized in Jesus' name and they used to be this, but all of a sudden they become that. They used to be a drug dealer and now they're a word of God preacher. 
Oh, come on, somebody. Uh, they used to be a prostitute, uh, but now they're a soul winner. I just need a few people in the building. Uh, they used to be a thief, uh, but now they become a giver. We used to sing an old song that said, I thank God uh, I'm not uh, what I used to be. Uh, is there anybody in the building grateful uh, for transformation tonight? Don't be conformed to the eons, but be renewed in your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I love that because it deals with the subject of thought. Part of the transformation that happens when you become God's is you don't think the way you used to think. God changes your mindset. God transforms uh, your ideologies uh, and you no longer think uh, the way that you used to think. Another example of the term eon in scripture is found in Titus chapter 2 verse number 12. Read for me. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. In this present world. Now, woo, I love this scripture here. Back up and read for me verse number 11. For the grace Wait, of go back to 12. Because 12 starts in a unique way. It starts with the phrase, teaching us that. You never start a sentence that way. So it begs the question, what was preceding this statement? So if you go back to verse number 11, you get a clear understanding. For the grace of God. That Somebody say the grace of God. Read. That bringeth salvation. That bringeth salvation. I love that right there because the grace of God is not salvation. The grace of God brings salvation. I know that's contrary to religious belief today, but the grace of God is not salvation. It brings. The grace of God is a deliverer. It hath appeared to all men. Now look at verse 12. Teaching us that. What's teaching us? I got a lot of English majors in the house. Huh, Sister Christine, I knew she'd say it. Who's the teacher? The grace of God is the teacher. Grace is a teacher, not an excuser. Grace teaches us. Grace informs us. Grace, oh my God, I could get off really wild here. Grace teaches, and pray tell me, what does grace teach us? Read for me. That denying ungodliness... Grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. Grace does not license us to live in ungodliness. Grace teaches us to deny. If grace is at work in your life, it is teaching you. And it is teaching you to deny ungodliness. What else is grace teaching us? 
denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Grace is teaching you to deny worldly, there it is, eons, worldly lust. Lust, desire that has its origin and its root in the rudiments of the eon. Worldly lust. Grace is not an excuse to fall into the lust or entertain it, but grace is a teacher that teaches you how to deny the worldly lust. Uh-huh. What else does it teach us? We should live soberly. Grace is still teaching. And grace teaches us that we should live soberly. This is not just devoid of intoxication from alcoholic beverages or drugs, but this is sober in the greater context of not having your judgment impaired by the things of this world, having clear faculties that are not clouded in judgment by the things of this world. Grace teaches us to live a life of sobriety, but I thought it didn't matter how you live with grace. I'm sorry to tell you, grace is a teacher, uh, and grace is going to teach you uh, how to live soberly. What else is grace going to teach? To live righteously. It's going to teach you how to live righteously. The word righteous is where we get the word right from. And if there's a right, that means there's got to be a... So I'm sorry. Grace does not say that it doesn't matter how you live and that if you call something right or wrong that you're somehow judging people incorrectly. Grace teaches us uh, to make a judgment call uh, and to deny unrighteousness uh, and to live uh, righteously. That is the proper perspective uh, of grace. Oh, I could preach right here because the apostle Paul uh, prayed and said, I got a thorn, a messenger from Satan that's buffeting me down. I got this thing uh, that, that, is, that is bugging me. Uh, it, we don't know if it was a temptation. We don't understand if it was just a, a proclivity of his nature. Uh, but the Bible said that he prayed three times uh, and said, Lord, would you remove uh, this thing from me? I could be a better apostle uh, if you'd get rid of this thing that I'm dealing with over here. I could be a better Christian uh, if you would just eliminate the challenge. Uh, but the Lord said, I'm not going to remove it. Uh, my grace... Uh, he is sufficient uh, for you. Uh, in other words, you're going to be victorious, uh, and it's going to be uh, by my grace. Uh, my grace uh, is what's going to strengthen you uh, to be able to withstand uh, and to live soberly uh, and righteously. And godly in this present Eon, right in the middle of an environment that is anti-God, that is anti-Christian values, that is anti the word of God, that is latent with rebellion. Right in the middle of that environment, the grace of God is going to teach you how to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Is it all right if I just park here for a couple more moments? 
This is powerful. I, 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 you guys don't have this probably in, in, in your scriptural references tonight, but get for me on the media screen, uh, Jude chapter 1, verses 3 and, and, and verse number 4. And if you just start studying your Bible, there's only one chapter in Jude, so you can't go wrong. Just find Jude and go to verse 3 and 4. And read, read, read for me off the screen. Just go ahead, Brother Trevor, since you're reading. Go, go for it. Beloved, uh -huh. when, I, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, uh -huh. it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto now the Now this saints. is powerful because in this letter he is telling them that I have been compelled uh, to write unto you uh, about the common salvation. And it was needful for me to write to you and exhort you <laughs> that you should earnestly uh, contend for the faith. You have to understand that there is going to be some things uh, if you're going to live for God that you've got to be willing to fight for. If you're going to make it living for God, uh, there's got to be something in you uh, that understands uh, somewhere along the way uh, I'm going to have to put up my dukes uh, and I'm going to have to contend uh, for some things uh, in my life. Uh, oh, is there anybody that's lived for God long enough uh, to understand uh, that sometimes you got to look the devil in the eye uh, and say, all right, uh, if we got to fight, uh, then we got to fight. But I'm not letting go of this. I'm not turning back from this. I'm not backing up from this. I'm going to contend for the f Sometimes you got to get your gloves on and step in the ring and let hell know if we got to fight, then the fight is on because I'm not backing up one bit. God brought me too far for me to lose out now, baby. God's delivered me of too much for me to get discouraged now. God's done too many miracles for me to doubt him now. I've got to fight for it. Tell your neighbor, I'll fight for it. I'll fight for it. I'll fight for my joy. I'll fight for my peace. I'll fight for my children. I'll fight for my marriage. I'll fight for my, come on, uh, my peace of mind. Uh, you got to get a revelation that the kingdom of heaven uh, suffereth violence uh, and the violent take it uh, by force. The enemy going to try you, but you got to be willing to fight for some things. <laughs> and he admonishes them to contend for the faith and the first part of the verse puts it in context for us because he is writing about the common salvation. And this is indicative of the fact that they established the New Testament church by preaching the infallible truth of the gospel message, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, to which they put the umbrella, the generic term, the faith. And he said, I'm writing unto you that you fight for the faith. This thing's worth fighting for, somebody. This thing's worth getting in trouble over. Uh, this thing's worth taking some hits over. Uh, this thing's worth taking a risk over. Uh, this thing, come on. Uh, you've got to fight uh, for the faith. I got to hurry. We'll never get out of here. Next verse. 
For there are certain men crept in unawares uh -huh. who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men. Ungodly men. What were they doing? Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Here it is. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. What these ungodly men were doing was distorting, deforming the definition of what grace is. And they were distorting the definition of grace uh, to mean uh, that it would be lasciviousness, which simply means uh, uncontrolled uh, lust. But our previous scripture said uh, that the grace of the Lord teaches us uh, to deny uh, worldly uh, lust. Uh, real grace uh, teaches you to deny uh, worldly lust. Uh, but ungodly grace uh, teaches you uh, that you can let lust have its way in your life. This is a concept that is derived from ungodliness. And in our previous scripture, it is part of the eon. Read for me Matthew 13 and 22, another reference to the term eon in scripture. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becometh unfruitful. He is using the agricultural example of sowing, seed time, and harvest. And if you read the whole chapter, this is concerning the word of the Lord going forth and falling on the different types of soil. And in this verse, the, the seed falls into the ground, but the word is choked out because in that soil are the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of the world. We're going to come back to that in just a moment. The, the third term used in Scripture to define world for us is the Greek word ekumene. Spelled O-I-K-U-M-E-N-E -E, if you're taking notes. And if you didn't get that, just go back and listen to the video. Ecumene, it's where we get the word ecumenical from. And it simply means land, the globe, or the earth. It is the literal ground or earth or the scope of God's creation. It is the completeness of the inhabited earth. And the term world is translated in this sense from the word ecumeni, in these verses, read for me Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. This is the literal earth. This gospel is going to be preached in all of the earth. Read Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. All the ecumeny should be taxed. Read Luke chapter 4, verse number 5. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. He shows him all the kingdoms 
of the earth or the ecumeny. Read Acts chapter 11, verse 28. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout the whole, all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And so our, our soul's enemy is not the earth or the ecumeny. It is not really the cosmos in the sense of the universe with its inhabitants, but it can be the cosmos in the sense of human society and customs. Our enemy is certainly the age in which we live in or the eon. Listen carefully tonight. From each eon, there are inventions and allurements and enticements and carnal trappings and places and events invented by humans that arise from out of that eon. Every generation produces an atmosphere and an environment that is peculiar to its own day and one that is destructive to our spiritual lives if we involve ourselves in it. Problems of 50 years ago may not plague us today. And if Jesus tarries, problems that we contend with today may not be problems 50 years from now. Each generation must be spiritually aware of the enticements and the allurements and the evils of its day and not allow these things to separate them from God. As we move forward with new inventions and new devices and new forces of evil to fight, we must stay in tune with what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Each generation produces its own eon and its own spirit. The cosmos, the world of humanity under satanic influence will constantly bring, listen, false doctrines and wrong codes of conduct and worldliness to our society. And we must judge each teaching and practice by the scriptures as to its spirit and its truthfulness and the direction to which it tends. We so many times quote the one scripture in the Bible out of context and say, judge not. But we never put it in its full context, nor read all the other scriptures about judgment in scripture. The Bible tells us to judge righteously. And furthermore, the Bible says that judgment must first begin in the house of the Lord. 
We must ascertain the dynamics of the age that we live in and with carefulness and with Holy Ghost leading, we must be able to navigate our understanding of what is evil in our society, of what is evil in our world and those things that are designed by Satan and this world to destroy our walk and God's influence in our lives. Spiritual perception is a must. An unmuzzled ministry must fill the pulpit to warn us of our age. Watchmen must remain in the tower unafraid to sound the alarm concerning the world and the eon in which we live. One place in Scripture says uh, that men of God or prophets uh, that will not open their mouth uh, in alarm to God's people uh, are like dumb dogs uh, that will not uh, bark. It's like having a dog in your house uh, and when the thief is breaking in the front door uh, your dog never opens its mouth uh, to alert you of the danger uh, and I'm afraid uh, that come judgment day uh, there's going to be hell to pay literal uh, for preachers uh, who are more interested uh, and attracted uh, by the itching ears uh, of people uh, that just want feel good messages uh, that just want to shout uh, and dance uh, and tell me uh, about God's blessing, uh, but they are not tuned uh, to the voice uh, of a watchman on the wall uh, that without fear uh, and without favor uh, will stand flat-footed uh, on the word of God uh, and declare uh, a warning uh, against the eon uh, and the world uh, in which we live. Too many Christians wanting a preacher to be a leader of a social club. And our expectations have a lot less to do with his voice of truth concerning the spiritual gauge of the world that we're living in and have more to do with our fleshly and carnal appetite and desire. But God help us in this last day to be a church that says, preach to me, pastor. Preach to me, bishop. Tell me, you're the watchman on the wall. What is God telling you? What is God showing you? Uh, what do we need to stand against? Uh, where do we need to draw the line? Uh, oh, uh, God help us uh, to never become so drunk uh, on the things of this world uh, that we lose uh, our perspective and we lose our sensitivity to the voice of the watchman. The basic sins such as lying and stealing, hatred and lust and murder, exist in every age. But there are some sinful practices that are characteristic of the age in which we live. And these are the ones, these are the ones 
against which we must be especially on guard. History records the growth and spread of iniquity over the face of the earth. It is not a polluted atmospheric condition, but one that originates in the heart and in the mind and in the soul of humans, culminating in every kind of conceivable sin. And in this sense, the world, the sinful values, the customs, the atmosphere, and practices of the age are the enemy of our souls. If you begin to study scripture, you will find a pattern that regardless of the age in which we live, we will encounter certain elements that make up the world. And we can always trace the root causes of sin into one of the following categories. And if you're taking notes, write this down. First John chapter 2 Verses 15 through 17. Read for me. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Love not the world. Tell your neighbor the world. Neither the things that are in the world. Read. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Read. For all that is in the world. The For all that is in the world. All encompassing. Every sin will somehow find its way into these three categories. Read. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Read. And the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. And the pride of life. We have in our natural carnal man desires and ambitions and strong inclinations to be like our contemporaries and to participate in the activities of our age. We want to be included. We want to feel like we are a part of something. We don't like to be the odd man out. If you don't understand the power of this, look no further than social networking and social media which is designed completely on the idea of accepting friend requests. It always, it, it, it always makes me laugh when somebody I've never met, never spoke to, never seen, connects and says, I want to be your friend. Accept me so I can be your friend. We, we have defined friendship by connectivity. Accept me. And, and then we judge the content of what we present by how many likes. Do you like this? How many likes can I get? And if we're not careful, we'll get caught up in the worldly definitions of character, and we begin to freak out when only 10 people liked our post. And you start scrolling through and say, well, how come so-and-so didn't like it? See, see, y'all going to get quiet on me right here. And then you come to church on Tuesday night, and you got an attitude with sister so-and-so. 
and you ain't going to say it, uh, but you're wondering why they didn't like your post. And you already got it made up in your mind why they didn't like your post. And I, and they, 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 they got something against me. And they, they, liked, uh, they liked her post, uh, and they liked his post, but they didn't like uh, my post. Oh, you can get in a hole. The devil knows how to play uh, on the human, oh, yeah, the human desire. Uh, oh, yeah, to be a part. I want to be a part of it. Or, or we could flip that coin around, and I've seen backsliders post things that are anti-scripture, that are a representation of disobedience and rebellion, and because a whole bunch of carnal people uh, hit the like button, I can't get no help. I couldn't buy an amen for $20 right now. Somehow it gives them a false sense uh, of acceptance. Uh, and we run our lives like a political campaign to see how many votes we can get. Uh, and if the majority agrees, uh, then it must be right. Uh, and our barometer of truth uh, is no longer the scripture, uh, but it is social uh, acceptance. Uh, this is the climate uh, of the world we live in today. Uh, this is the ideology of the world we live in today. Sometimes we wait to make up on our mind what's right and wrong based on how many people are going to go one way or the other and we follow the majority. But if you're going to be what God wants you to be, you have to divorce yourself from the values of this eon and you have to instill within your mind. You have to inform your thinking and your spirit uh, and your heart uh, with the truth uh, of God's word. So we must discern satanic devices that are peculiar to our day, that are prominent in our day. And then we must shun them and remove them from our lives. They are designed to pull us into its orbit, into its pattern, and the influence of its gravitational pull. And God does not warn us without cause. If no danger existed, then God's word would not impose any restrictions upon us. But there are dangers, and the word adequately warns us about them. And I'm going to give you tonight 12 things concerning the word of God and its warnings concerning the enemy of your soul, the world. Number one, the scripture warns us that the world has its pollutions. Read for me 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. That word pollutions there is the original word miasma, which literally means a foreign substance 
that pollutes or adulterates the purity of another substance. They have escaped the pollutions of the world. There are things in the world that are pollutants to your walk with God. And when you spend enough time in particular environments, if you are not careful, those pollutants of the world will begin to affect the purity of your walk with God. <clears throat> when you spend enough time in the presence of people who have attached themselves to rebellion and the spirit of this world, it will not be long before those pollutants enter your spirit man and begin to defile the truth of God's principles in your life. I, I, I was thinking about this today because here in southwest Florida, we've, we've had to deal with from time to time a problem with something called red algae. And red algae is simply a problem that comes because of pollution. And, and, and here's the insidiousness of the red algae problem here, is that the problem didn't start here. The problem started almost 100 miles away in the beginnings of the Caloosahatchee River as it flows from Lake Okeechobee. And next to the river, as it makes its way across the state, are, are sugarcane farmers who are dumping particular uh, products into the water, fertilizers and other products that enter into the water. And those contaminants combined with the warm weather begin to cause a normally... Uh, uh, a normally um, uh, an algae that is that is dormant. The, those conditions cause that dormant algae bloom to begin to manifest itself. Uh, and and isn't it funny that there are there are particular natures in humanity that lie dormant within us. And as long as we are in the right environment, uh, they stay dormant, uh, and we don't have to deal with those things, uh, and they stay under control. Uh, but when exposed uh, to the right conditions, uh, the thing that lay dormant in you. Uh, now you have to deal with it all of a sudden. And I, and I never uh, have to deal with those kind of thoughts. Uh, but every time I'm around these people, uh, i got to deal with this thing that crops up uh, in my, what's happening? Uh, there's a pollutant in your life uh, that is causing something uh, that is dormant uh, in the carnal man that was buried uh, to become activated uh, and alive again. And, and that red algae bloom begins to carry its way all the way down the river. And here, a hundred miles later, it enters the mouth of the Gulf of Mexico. And you go to the beach when there's a red algae bloom problem. And you see the results of the pollutant. And we could talk a whole lot about influence here because fluence, it's where we get the word fluid from, deals with the flow of liquids, fluency, the flow influence. A river has tributaries that they call influence. It means that you have one flow and another flow joins this flow. And influence can be good or bad depending on what it carries with it. If it's good stuff, it'll contribute good into the flow. If it's pollutants, it will pollute the flow. 
And so those influences, those tributaries uh, come into the river uh, and they, they deposit uh, their pollutants uh, into what is supposed to be a pure river. And that river cannot help uh, but be affected by the thing that it has allowed access into its flow. That's why you've got to guard your heart, the Bible says, uh, because out of it uh, flow the issues of life. What kind of flow is coming uh, out of your heart? Uh, I can tell you that it's affected uh, by the things that contribute uh, to your flow. Uh, you've got to guard your, you've got to quit opening up your mind and your life uh, to every person that smiles at you and buys you a cheeseburger and is willing to spend an hour of time with you. Don't you, come on, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. You've got to have enough spiritual perspicuity to understand how Satan works. He will find you in vulnerable conditions. And he will fill the void with a thing that looks attractive to you. And what you think is a friend is a gateway of influence of toxicity into your life. And instead of you having a, a flow of pure waters uh, issuing from your life, uh, there are pollutants uh, that did not even start with you. It's not even your problem to begin with, uh, but you gave yourself access. Uh, and now uh, what started 100 miles away uh, is killing the life uh, in your waters here. Uh, and there's dead fish uh, and there's dead turtles uh, and animals everywhere uh, simply because uh, we did not understand the power of influence. I'm teaching about the enemies of your soul. And so, the Bible warns us about worldly pollutants. The second thing the word warns us about is that the world has its corruption. Read for me 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. There is a corruption that is in the world. That word corruption in the original language is the word phthora, which simply means to decay or to destroy or to be corrosive in nature. The thing about corruption and corrosiveness is it doesn't happen overnight. And its results are imperceptible for a while. And so you make the mistake of thinking that the element you're connected to is safe. Because you don't see the results of its actions immediately. I, I, I thought about this today as I was praying and studying because I, uh, a few months ago I, I installed some lights some solar lights on the outside of our house. And they have a little solar, mini solar, solar panel on each light and inside is a rechargeable solar battery. And during the day when the sun is out, it charges that battery. And at night when the sun uh, goes down, the, the little sensor kicks over and, and, and it starts lighting the light off of the power of the battery that was charged by the solar. And when I first put them in, they were, they were bright. And they were nice, but I noticed uh, after a while, 
I started looking and I thought, is it just me or do these lights look a little more dim? And I, and I, and I, and I just went on about my business. But after a few months, I, I was noticing some, some big changes in the, in the light. And I said, that's weird. Maybe, I don't know what's happening. And, and then finally one light quit working and another light quit working. And, and you know how that goes. Pretty soon the wife starts talking. When are you going to fix these lights? And so I, I started taking the lights apart, and, and I found a problem. And the problem is, is that I had most of these lights that were failing, I had them setting almost all the way on the rocks outside of the house. And the problem is, is that when it was raining really heavy, and the water saturation level was strong enough, they were designed to withstand the rain, but they weren't designed to withstand setting water. And that setting water made its way into the chamber where the battery was, and it began to corrode the contact between the battery and the lights. And it didn't happen immediately, but that corrosion slowly began to dim the light. Because it was resisting the voltage from that battery. And all of the power trying to make it through was not making it there. And it, and it didn't go out immediately. It just got dimmer over time. And that's how the corruption of the world works in your spirit. It never is a light that goes out overnight. Uh, when you watch people uh, that are being affected uh, by the corruption of the world, uh, it's a process. Uh, and, and you look over uh, and you think, eh, just a little something off. Uh, they just uh, they, I don't see them worshiping uh, like I used to see them worshiping and uh, I don't see them praying in the altar like I used to see them and come to think of it it's been a long time since uh, I saw them on their face. Uh, what's happening uh, there is a corrosive property uh, in the corruption of the world uh, that is resisting uh, the influence uh, of spirit uh, the influence of the Holy Ghost uh, and if it is not a Dressed, uh, if it is not corrected uh, at one point in time, uh, it will completely destroy the connection. And there were some of those lights that I was able to just clean off the corrosive part and make an adjustment on the light, put a battery in, and it lit right up. But there were some of them that didn't make it. And it ate through the entire contact and the light would no longer work again. And I'm telling you, you allow corrosive influence of the world in your spirit long enough, uh, unrepented of, uh, undealt with, uh, unchecked, uh, unsubmitted, uh, unsurrendered to God, uh, and it will be a matter of time before it completely destroys. I don't have time for all of this. The Bible warns us that the world has its cares and its riches and its treasures. Luke 18, 8 and 14, you can read that when you get home. The sixth thing it reminds us of is that the world has its God. 2 Corinthians 4 and 4 tells us that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of people. I don't have time to preach all of this. The seventh thing that it tells us uh, is that the world has its course. 
There is a way, there is a roadway, a course that the world has. But the book of Proverbs tells us there is a way that seemeth right, chapter 14, that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Titus 2 and 12, we already read it, tells us that the world has its lusts. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 31, tells us that the world has its fashion. Read that for me, 1 Corinthians 7 and 31. And they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world passeth away. We often think of the word fashion and we immediately uh, put that word in a small reference to mean the kind of clothes that we wear, fashion. But it is not just indicative of fashion. Now think of fashion in a broader uh, in a in a broader context. It's not just the clothing you wear. Fashion is the way in which anything is presented. But it is more inclusive than that. It deals with the process and the origin from which the fashion originated. It's not just what you see. It's what you see represents. And the world has its fashions. When you see things that have their origin in the world, don't you ever think uh, that it's just some light thing and it's just because there is always an origin behind it. There is always a spirit behind it. There is always an understanding. Where did it come from? What was the motive? Why is it there? Uh, that's why we don't just go chasing around uh, every fashion that comes along in the world uh, because so many of the world's fashions uh, have their origin in anti-God I don't have time to get into all of that tonight. The scripture tells us that the world has its wisdom. And I'd love to get into all of that, but just go listen to the series on the seven pillars of wisdom. The world has its wisdom. And you've got to make up in your mind that I'm going to follow the wisdom of God's word. And it is going to take precedent over the wisdom of this world. I don't care what professor said it. Uh, I don't care what school is teaching it. Uh, I don't care how many people uh, say it's the truth. Uh, if it is against this word, uh, then I'm telling you it is the wisdom of this world. And my Bible tells me let God be true and every man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 12 tells us that the world has its spirit. There's a spirit in our world. Go home and read it. 1 Corinthians 2 and 12 when you get home. And knowing the enemy is one thing. But knowing how to conquer the enemy is something quite another. As elementary and simplistic as it sounds, the Bible method for defeating our enemy, the world, is simply to overcome the world. My God, I preached everything I taught tonight to get to this point right here. The Bible's simple method against the enemy of your soul called the world is to overcome the world. Woo. Read for me Romans chapter 12, verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, 
but overcome evil with good. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Good will triumph over evil. You've just got to make up in your mind uh, that you will not sit uh, while evil uh, takes over uh, and while evil dominates uh, and while evil takes control. Uh, you've got to become proactive. Uh, you've got to come off uh, of the defense uh, and go uh, on the offense uh, and overcome uh, evil uh, with good. God didn't design you to sit on a pew just in a defensive posture all of the time. Come on, somebody. God did not design you uh, to walk week in and week out. Uh, always, I'm struggling. I'm fighting. I'm wondering. I'm struggling. I, that's not the will of God. He called you more than a conqueror. Somewhere, you've got to recognize that the power of good through the Holy Ghost in you is more powerful than the forces of evil that come against you. And there are a few ways the Bible says to overcome evil with good. Read Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 through 22, quickly. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat. And if, if who's he, hungry? If thine your, enemy. Your mom? Thy enemy. Your sister? Thine enemy. Your best friend? Thine enemy. It's easy to feed people you like. If your enemy is hungry, Heather, read. Give him bread to eat. Give him bread to eat. And if he be thirsty, if they're thirsty, give him water to drink. Give him water to drink. Read on. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. You want to know how to overcome the evil of your enemy? Do good to them that despitefully use you. Do good to them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. <laughs> the mentality of the world. Is get me, I'm going to get you back. Oh, it's quiet in here. But God's way is to overcome evil with good. Read. And the Lord shall reward thee. Read Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 47. Ye have heard that it hath been said... Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Uh -huh. But I say unto you, love your neighbor, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Uh -huh. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. How are you going to overcome evil with good? You've got to be like your heavenly father that causes the sun to rise on the evil and the righteous. That causes, oh, come on, somebody. If you're going to overcome the enemy of the world, you can't have a worldly mentality. Read. That ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven. Uh-huh. For if you love them which love you, yeah. what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? The world knows how to return love when love is given. 
Read. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? If the only people uh, that you smile at and greet uh, are the people that are your brothers, uh, the world knows how to do that. Read. Is that it? You're going to overcome evil by doing good. You're going to overcome uh, the mindset of the world uh, by emulating the mindset uh, of your heavenly father. And then the second thing, band come and, and, and let them know that I'm circling the runway. I'm getting ready to land the plane tonight. The second way that the scripture tells us that we overcome the world is found in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 through 8. Read for me. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Listen, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You want to overcome the world? Then just be born of God. What does that mean? Read. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Tell me about it. Next verse. Who is he that overcometh the world? Who is he that overcomes the world? Tell me. But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. He that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You want to know one way you overcome the world? Is you become a one God believer. When you get a revelation of the oneness of God, you begin to posture yourself as an overcomer of the world. Am I in the right church tonight? A revelation of the oneness of God begins to posture you as an overcomer of the world. Read. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water this only. This is he that came by water and blood. This is indicative of water and spirit baptism. Even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. It is the Spirit that beareth witness because the Spirit is truth. Read. For there are three that bear record in heaven. For there are three that bear record in heaven. Yes. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And these three are one. When you get a revelation of who Jesus is and you repent of your sins and you're baptized in Jesus' name and you're filled with the Holy Ghost, baby, that's how you begin to overcome the world. Read for me. And if we receive the witness of men, the witness of... Verse 8. Oh, I'm sorry. And these three are, uh, the, and there are three that bear witness in earth, the spirit and the water and the blood. The and these spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three uh, agree in one. Next verse. 
If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his son. What is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Ghost, uh, the resurrection power. Uh, Acts chapter number 13 uh, is a reference of the day of his resurrection, where he looks down from heaven uh, and says, uh, Behold, uh, my son, uh, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, it was at the resurrection uh, that his son, Sonship uh, was consummated uh, and he recognized him uh, as the son uh, of God and it's that same uh, Holy Ghost Spirit uh, that beareth witness. One of the ways you overcome the world is you get a revelation of one God and then you obey the gospel message. Y'all still with me tonight? What time is it? 920, I still got nine minutes to preach. I can do a lot of damage in nine minutes. The third way that you overcome the world is found in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Read for me. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. In the world. Read it like a preacher. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Read. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. How do you defeat the enemy of your soul? The world you have to overcome. Now. When you study the scripture, etymologically, and you begin to study the phrase that says tribulation, it is the original word thlipsis, which means pressure. In the world, ye shall have pressure. How many of you understand that part of living in this world not just spiritually but physically is dealing with pressure. I thought I'd have a few more amens. Anybody know what it's like to deal with pressure in the building? Even from a physiological point of view, a baby when it's born is dealing with pressure. The atmospheric pressure of the earth is 14.7 pounds of pressure per square inch. The average human male is five foot nine, 200 pounds. Some are above average. If I remember the math right, that puts the human body at over 3,200 plus inches of surface area on an average male. If you do the math on that, I think it's some 47,000 pounds of pressure on the average human body. Just to give you an idea of how much that is, a ton is 2,000 pounds. The average vehicle weighs 2,800 pounds. And I think if you do the math between all of that, that means the equivalent of about 17 vehicles. That's the kind of pressure that is on the human body at any given time. How does the body stop from imploding? Because of internal pressure. 
And there is just as much internal pressure or strength as there is external pressure on the body. It's like this balloon right here. Right now, it is a victim of the atmospheric pressure around it. It is deflated. But when you introduce internal pressure, what is happening? It is pressurizing, and it is pressurizing at a rate greater than the pressure around it. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In the world, you're going to have pressure. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the pressure. And I think it is John chapter 14. He said, I am with you, but I shall be in you. And the key to overcoming the world is to understand that what's inside of you is greater than what's... I'm almost done tonight, but I'm giving somebody a simple key to living victorious over the world that you live in. Okay, let me break it down for some of you that still need a little bit, bit of help. Give me that first slide tonight. How many of you know what that is? On the left, it means... On the right, it means the scripture says this. Is it, is it John chapter 4 or is it John chapter 14? Uh, Brother Andy. Greater is he. You got it? Read it. Ye are of God, little children. Ye are of God, little children. And have overcome them. And have overcome them. Because greater is what? he. Wait, wait, wait. The word is because. You overcame them, and here's why. Why? Because greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that is in you. Somebody say, in me. I will, I am with you, but I shall be. Greater is he that is in you. Give me the second slide. Does that make sense? Greater is he that is in you, read, than he that is in the world. Than he that is in the world. Give me the third slide. What is in you is greater than what is around you. And the only revelation you need to walk in victory every single day, no matter what I'm going through, what I got on the inside is keeping me from being destroyed. What I've got on the inside is keeping me from being overcome. I just need a few people in the building uh, that got the revelation tonight. Uh, this is how uh, you're going to overcome the world. Uh, is greater uh, is he uh, that is in you uh, than he. And what happens is that 
You're not designed to spend your whole life in a posture of resisting pressure. I'm trying not to pop. That's how most of us spend a lot of our life. I'm just trying not to pop. I'm just trying not to have a nervous breakdown. I'm just trying not to backslide. I'm just, that's not how God intended for you to live. He didn't say that there was an equal sign right there. If there's not an equal sign, that means that what's inside eventually should overtake the thing that's on it. Don't invite me to your party to blow balloons. what it looks like when somebody's getting in the Holy Ghost. Uh, what's in you keeps getting bigger uh, and it keeps getting stronger uh, and pretty soon uh, you're pushing against the world uh, and it's not the world against you uh, but the world is having to back up uh, because of the anointing uh, that's on your life uh, and the power. Let's just fix it. That's how you ought to be living your life. You're an overcomer. The world isn't stronger than you. The world isn't greater than you. You've got something inside of you that's designed to overtake your enemy. So somebody tonight needs to get up on your feet and serve notice to hell tonight. I'm not walking deflated any longer. I'm not walking defeated. I'm not walking discouraged. I'm not walking depressed. Greater is he that is in you. God gave you power to overcome. God gave you power to walk through that trial. God gave you strength to make it through that thing. And somebody in this place ought to lift your hands and begin to declare, I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. Come on. Come on. God wants to give you a revelation tonight. God wants to give you a revelation tonight. I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. Come on. Here's what I want us to do tonight. I know this is Bible study, but I need every person in this building who's dealing with some pressure to jump out of your seat and run to this altar tonight. I need every person in this house that's been dealing with some pressure of the world. You got situations at work. You got issues going on with your health. You got situations going on. Come on. I want you to run to this altar. And tonight, we're going to make a declaration. Tonight, 
we're going to switch our mentality. Tonight, we're going to change our mindset. Come on. It starts with the renewing of your mind. It starts with a new thought. It starts by letting the Holy Ghost influence your thinking. I'm not going to think like the world anymore. I'm not going to think like I'm defeated anymore. Somebody needs to lift your hands right now in the presence of God because the Holy Ghost is about to empower you. The Holy Ghost is about to empower you. The Holy Ghost is about to talk to you. The Holy Ghost. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. 